Kate. Are you still watching? Um, uh, lovely to see you all. I thought we'd, um, we'd do a big announcement and then we'd talk about temptation. Um, so <laughs> we'll see how smoothly this goes. Um, but we've just started a brand new series last week. Um, Johnny kicked us off, Life to the Full. Um, because in John 10, 10, Jesus says that he's come that we might have life and have it to the full. Um, but this isn't just like the Christian equivalent of like live, laugh, love. It's not just some kind of nice platitude. It's, it's far more than that. Other translations of the Bible translate that verse as to give you a rich and satisfying life or life in abundance, a life that overflows. And I believe that's a promise for each of us today, every single one of us, no matter where we've come from, what our background is, no matter what mistakes we might have made, there's a promise for life to the full. But that begs the question, you know, well, life doesn't always feel full. Like sometimes life feels difficult or empty um, or a bit of a struggle. And it's because in the same breath that Jesus makes that promise to us, he reminds us of the reality of the spiritual battle that we face. He says, the full verse, John chapter 10, verses 10 says, the thief, which is the enemy, the devil, comes only to steal, kill and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and life to the full. And so this series is just trying to explore the fullness of life, the kind of full scope of our life, um, including the difficult things, including um, when things are challenging, the spiritual attack. And today we're going to look in the New Testament to Jesus' own life because Jesus faced the same things that we did. He faced temptation. And it's um, Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. And there's so much that you could say um, on temptation. There's so many different routes you could go down or ways to explore this. But we're just going to look at what Jesus does um, and how he faced his own spiritual battles and overcame them. So Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 13. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. Which I always think goes without saying. If you've not eaten 40 days, I'd be very hungry. Um, But the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all of the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It's been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, Throw yourself down from here, for it's written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. And so like I said, we're just going to look at these, this story as it plays out, these three temptations in turn, just looking at how Jesus responded and what we can learn from that. So the first one, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. 
Jesus has been in the desert for 40 days, like it says, he's hungry. And so the enemy just comes straight in and tries to manipulate this one very physical need by tempting him to turn a stone to bread. And the Dutch Catholic priest, Henri Nouwen, refers to this as a temptation to be relevant, to do something that's kind of necessary and will be appreciated by people. Um, I was reminded of this last weekend. Uh, my husband Henry and I were on an organised cycling weekend in West Wales, which was fantastic, cycling around the Welsh coastline. Um, yes, I am also pregnant. I know probably people are thinking, <laughs> why are you cycling? It was the last ride. It was the last one, I promise. Um, but so there was 130 other cyclists there, um, all with really great bikes, really great gear, and they all looked incredibly fit. They were very, very, very good cyclists. And in, amongst our friends, we're like, we're the cyclists. We're the, like, we do the distance, we've got the bikes. So yeah, we're the, we're the cyclists, but we were amateurs compared to these guys. As soon as we arrived, I was getting jealous of the bikes. I was thinking, oh no, how am I gonna keep up? It just was immediate comparison. And so on the Saturday morning, we had to decide which of the set rides we were going to go out on. And of course, I should have done the shortest ride. Um, however, I was tempted. Um, and I didn't, I didn't do the shortest ride. I did a mid-length ride. Um, and it was because I had this voice in my head. If, if you're a real cyclist, you'll go out on the longer ride. If you're a real cyclist, you'll be able to keep up with all those guys in Lycra. If you're a real cyclist, you'll be able to do that. And so, yeah, like I said... Um, too pregnant to be doing the mid-length ride, off I went. And I made it back to camp, I did it, I, I, I made it round and I was impressed. The cyclists were impressed, Strava was impressed, you can check it out on Strava, um, and continue to be impressed. But the reality was, in that moment, I had totally succumbed to the temptation to, to be relevant, to be amongst these incredible athletes, these people who I thought were really impressive, and I wanted to be the same. And I didn't even know them. I'd only just met them. It didn't even matter. But there was this inbuilt desire to kind of stay relevant in their company. And the reality is that this particular temptation touches at the centre of our identity. You know, we're made to believe that we can be measured by what we produce, like our output and how many miles we can do. And, um, and it leads to a kind of preoccupation with results. And it can be quite difficult to notice this, I think, because often those results could be really well-intentioned. It could be really good things. It could even be a sense of calling in you to, um, to, to feed the hungry, to get amongst the sick, to be alongside the broken. These are all really, really good things. But they're all good when in obedience to God, but not when they begin to define who we are, when they kind of take the place of our identity. And interestingly, the enemy uses these tactics against Jesus, the same tactics that Johnny mentioned last week in the Garden of Eden. He makes attempts to undermine Jesus's identity. If you are the son of God, if you are the son of God. But we know from this passage that Jesus has just come from his baptism. He's just been baptised in the Jordan. He's been filled with the Holy Spirit. He's heard the audible voice of his Father in heaven saying, this is my son whom I loved. With, with, with him I am well pleased. Jesus knows that he is a beloved son who is loved unconditionally. And that security in his identity means that he can withstand all attempts of the enemy. Even though he's got the power to satisfy the hunger by means of a miracle, he could turn the stone to bread. He has nothing to prove. He knows who he is. 
And so when we face the temptation to be relevant, we can remember our true identity, our unshakable identity as sons and daughters of God who are loved and delighted in. And it is our Father's voice that is the most important one. So there's a temptation to be relevant. And then the enemy comes to Jesus and says, I will give you all this authority and splendour. It's been given to me. I can give it to anyone I want. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. And this really is a temptation to be in control. The enemy takes Jesus to this highest point in the city, overlooking the whole city. And he says that you can have all of this. All of this can be yours. A seemingly simple exchange. If you just divert your attention away from God to me, you can have all this power and authority over these people. And at first you might read that and think, yeah, that's fine because that just sounds a bit dictatorial and that's not me. Like that's kind of reserved for the the worst of of the worst, like people who want to control people and people who are kind of hungry for power. But in reality, I think it's a temptation for each of us. Um, This is probably defined as a confession, um, I would imagine. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, so I'm the oldest of four siblings, so me and three younger, three younger siblings. And in my younger years especially, I would say that I mastered the art of manipulation, shall we say, or influence or control, uh, whichever word you want to choose, over these siblings. Um, they're lovely and they're grown up now and I no longer control them. But one, there was this one particular story. Um, we were camping in France uh, and my brother and I were in the swimming pool, the outdoor swimming pool, and I had the inspired idea to walk up the water slide, which of course is a terrible idea because it's very slippery. Um, but I made, started making my way up the water slide um, and sure enough, my younger brother, um, very easily influenced, started walking up the water slide behind me. Well, what could go wrong? Um, I'm sure you're wondering what could possibly go wrong. One of us slipped. It wasn't me. Um, and he, there's not, he basically smashed his face onto the water slide. I know, really bad. Uh, slid down to the bottom. I slid down after him. And as soon as I saw him, he, I could tell he'd broken his tooth. It was kind of bad. It was, it, he was hysterical. And so I did what I knew I had to. I grabbed him by the shoulders. I looked him in the eyes and I said, do not tell mum and dad that we were walking up the water slide. <laughs> and he never did. He never did. <laughs> oh, it's quite sweet. It did come out uh, last year on a family call. Um, <laughs> but we laugh about it now and we didn't then. Um, but the reality is we all like to control things. Like, there's situations that we want to play out a certain way. There's, there's plans that we have that we just hope go the way that we expect. There's, there's people that we want to respond in a certain way to things. And Henri Nouwen, this Dutch Catholic priest, puts it like this. Maybe the temptation of power is so seemingly irresistible because power offers an easy substitute for the hard task of love. It seems easier to be God than to love God, easier to control people than to love people, easier to own life than to love life. And so the enemy tries this against Jesus, kind of offering him this easy way out. Like, you know, you could have it all now. Like, why go through the humiliation and the suffering of the cross when you can have it all right now? But Jesus chooses obedience over ease. He knows that there's no greater security that can be found than in serving God. He knows with certainty that he has come to do the will of the Father and that is a path marked by suffering and sacrifice. 
And so he doesn't take the easy way out, but he goes all the way to the cross to secure our salvation. And so when we're faced with a temptation to control, to generate this sense of security and ease and safety, we can remember that actually there's no safer place than to be within the will of God. He is the one who is in control. He is the one who offers us a heavenly security that can't be matched. And then finally, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. This final temptation that Jesus faces is one to be spectacular, to do something quite remarkable that will gain loads of attention. Um, and it is, it's to kind of leap off, it's like to leap off the top of the temple and to be caught by angels, to not fall against the ground, but to, to be saved by angels in the sight of everybody, to be applauded and celebrated and held in high regard amongst the masses. And it's interesting that this whole story, these three temptations come in the wilderness right at the start of Jesus's three-year ministry in which he will raise the dead, he will heal the sick, he will give sight to the blind, he'll walk on water, he'll restore the broken. He's about to do the most miraculous things. So what would be the harm in starting with a swan dive off the temple? But Jesus came to reveal the heart of God. Everything in his ministry, everything that follows this point is done in love. Every word, every interaction, every miracle was to point to the truth that we are loved by God. Sons and daughters made in his image and that God longs for us to know him deeply in our own lives. So jumping from the temple would have been spectacular and it would have captured people's attention but it wouldn't have captured their hearts. And so when we feel that temptation to be spectacular, to draw attention, to draw praise, to be esteemed and impressive, we can remember the simple truth that God just wants our hearts. And you'll have noticed that Jesus responds the same way every single time to the enemy. It is written, it is written, it is written. And each time Jesus uses scripture to defend himself, he uses the words in the Bible to stand against the attacks of the enemy. He's armed with truth against the devil's deceptions. And the amazing thing is we don't just have the word. We, you know, we've got the Bible, we've got those same scriptures. But in John chapter one, the Bible talks about um, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. It's capital W word, it is him. It's, it's a person, it's Jesus, the word. Jesus is the word of God. And so we don't just have scripture, we've got Jesus himself fighting for us. The word made flesh dwelling among us. We have Jesus with us in every battle, in every temptation. Where the enemy wants to exploit our weakness, Jesus wants to, be, to strengthen us in our weakness. And we know from scripture that Jesus is able to empathise with our weaknesses, having been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. And having withstood all that temptation, Jesus won the ultimate victory on the cross. And as followers of Jesus, we share in that. That's what we have access to again this morning. He does what we can't and wins the battle for us and we share in that victory. And I don't know if you noticed, I'm sure you did, at the beginning of the passage, it says that Jesus, full of the Spirit, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. 
And just as the Spirit led Jesus through the wilderness, guided him through each temptation and out the other side into his ministry and beyond, we have that same Spirit within us, guiding us through every single battle. And so to finish, we're just going to invite that same Holy Spirit to fill us again, to fill us afresh for whatever we're facing, whatever battle, whatever temptation, whatever circumstance. And so would you like to stand? And we do this every single week. This is no different. But we're, we're going to invite the Holy Spirit, that same Spirit that guided Jesus, that was with Jesus, that gave Jesus the strength to walk through the wilderness. We're going to invite that same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead to fill us right now. And we receive the Holy Spirit freely. It's a gift from God. And we just trust the promise. It says in Scripture that if we ask, we will receive, we will be filled. And so you might just want to put your hands out in front of you. You might want to close your eyes, whatever kind of helps you. Just block out distractions. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and move amongst us, to come and fill each of us. Pray, come, Holy Spirit. We wait on you, Jesus. And as we wait, it might be that something comes to mind in your own life, something that you might be facing, a particular battle or struggle or stress. I just encourage you to kind of bring that to mind and bring that to the Lord. Or it might be a, a feeling of peace. Often the Holy Spirit moves and, and brings us peace. Just encourage you to ask, ask for more. If you want to receive the Holy Spirit, we just say, come Holy Spirit. And as we wait in the quiet, um, <clears throat> there were some pictures shared earlier by the prayer team who gathered before, and I'm just going to read them out over us. And there might be one that particularly resonates with you, and in a moment I'll invite whoever wants you to come and receive prayer. But I'll just share some of these words and just, again, ask the Holy Spirit, is this, is this something for me? Is this something that you're speaking to me? <clears throat> Somebody had a picture of an umbrella feeling like they always had to protect themselves but God just wanted to look after you. Just wanted to remind you, I am the one who protects you. I'm looking after you. There was a sense that God wanted to give people a new grace and a fresh start. There was this phrase, a new posture, where there might have been discouragement. Somebody else had the phrase, I give myself away. And a sense that God's prompting people, um, maybe you to to make small sacrifices, to make changes in your own life <clears throat> as part of your own giving of yourself to God. And a, another picture from someone of someone waking up from a deep sleep, kind of, I guess, like a bit of a, a light bulb moment, not necessarily anything I've said, but something that God is doing in you. And so we'd love to invite anyone <clears throat> um, who wants to receive prayer of 
any kind um, to come down to the front. The band are going to come and continue to play over us and we'll worship in just a moment. But um, I just invite you, if any of these pictures, any of these words stood out to you, if there's something, there might just be something very evident in your own heart, something that just like, oh, I know that that was me. You do not have to disclose that to anyone who comes to pray with you. You can just say, you just say could you pray for me? And someone will stand alongside you and pray with you. Um, but as the band come to um, lead us in worship, just invite you to come forward and we'll get the prayer team to come and stand alongside you and pray with you.